The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. On this special day, Jonathan and Winter Pitts offer practical advice and encouragement. Being intentional about our devotional time or being intentional about our quality time with them, being intentional about our quality time with God. So as we talk about all those things, though, in the end, there's a prayer because we know that we can only do but so much before we, and we just have to say, Lord, like I'm yours and so are they. Growing your child's relationships with God, parents and the world around them, next on Life Today. Today, we are so glad to have you, especially in this season of, of family. Um, sometimes, Sheila, that's a little tough. It's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, it's a part of the deal. We're going to talk about a little bit of family today. We have Jonathan and Winter Pitts on, and they are the authors of a book called She Is Yours, which is talking about raising daughters, not just any daughters, secure, godly daughters. Would you welcome Jonathan and Winter to life today? And you know, they're not alone uh, because the, the subjects, I mean, you know, the, the ones that provided you all of the, the fodder <laughs> for this fine book, they're here. You want to introduce your children? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Y'all stand up Kurt, for just you want to stand up so we can really see your beautiful faces? Ta-da! They're not the tallest girls, but... Alina, the oldest, 13, and then uh, Olivia next to her. She's eight and has a twin sister on the end named Cameron. That's Caitlin in the polka dot shirt there. So. Welcome, girls. Four it's great to have you with us. You. You so you. when you're writing books about raising daughters, do they? Do you have to run your material by them, first of all? <laughs> Make sure well, they, kind of... they get the material first, and then we're like, oh, we really? can do that because we, we just did that. Well, I, you should have taught my dad that because I go back and read his books, and there's my childhood, and I, mean, I was never asked permission. Anyway. <laughs> you tell a very funny story in the book, though, about, you know, when we get married, we often have plans of, you know, I'll wait five years and then, you know, might start a family. Um, but your first arrival was a little bit of a surprise. But describe what happened when you decided to share the wonderful news with your husband. Yeah, so we thought, you know, we got married right out of college and we thought, like, that's fine, but we'll wait to start a family. And um, we had a five-year plan. And it was about two weeks after we got back from our honeymoon. Well, probably about a month later, I was kind of realized, I was like, uh, I think I'm pregnant. So I called Jonathan and made the announcement, and just as a new wife, you know, just excited to tell him, and I'm like, babe, you know, I took a, I, uh, you know, somebody had a dream, and then I was like, I took a test, and I'm pregnant, and he's just, you know, he's like, what, you are? Okay, well, I'm gonna go finish my round. He was golfing. And so he wanted to finish it. Maybe you should have more children. Why did you shoot after that? Not very well. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> oh, Just wanted goodness. to finish my round of golf. <laughs> <laughs> I was moved. I don't think he's finished a round since, actually. Pretty much. Tell us a little bit about. You know, I found it interesting that, you know, you've, you've written these great books for what I consider an area of the market that there's really not a lot of books available. You know, I write books for little girls and there's some good books for older teens, but you're writing some really great stuff for those kind of tween years. Yeah. But tell us a little bit about your own story of growing up, because it wasn't the kind of world that you describe for your own daughters. 
No, it wasn't. I grew up um, in the inner city in Baltimore, Maryland, um, with a single mom, with my grandmom, raised my brother and I. And um, there was always, there was faith, it was kind of, when you're in that sort of situation where there weren't a lot of um, resources, material resources, but we always had our faith. And regardless of all the details that were happening outside, just drug infested and crime, and I mean, just in the heart of the city, and we were in the heart of all that. But inside of our walls, we were praying. My mom was bringing us um, together, when she, and she was on her knees, and my grandma was on her knees, um, in the midst of all of that that was happening around us. They just surrounded us and covered us in prayer and faith. What, what did yeah. that teach you about the power of prayer, even in a, in a tough situation? You know, it's not until now that I can go back and say um, the fact that I'm writing. I, I always say I am, um, every statistic was against me. Um, just, you know, my dad was addicted to drugs. We're in the city, in Baltimore. My mom raised my grandmother. Everything was against me. And the fact that I'm sitting here now with my husband and my four girls and have resources for girls, it just goes back and I can remember their prayers and them praying. At the time, I didn't, it just was what we did and we prayed before we left the house and oftentimes it was more annoying than it was anything else because I you know, <laughs> wanted to go do something else. Mm -hmm. But now I see just God answered those prayers um, and has answered them in ways that I don't even know that they realized when they were praying them. They were praying for safety and just that God, God's hand would be on our lives and that we would know him. And that impact um, has, God has taken that and been able to use that way beyond anything that they would have thought. I think that's got to be a tremendous encouragement to, to moms out there who are raising their children by themselves. I was raised by a mom, you know, who raised three of us and a lot of statistics against. But there's something that our culture doesn't consider, and that's the power of a praying mom. Mm -hmm. So how did, how did you two get together? When did he come into the story? Yeah, well, we actually met in college. Uh, she was just a girl uh, on campus, and I remember seeing her, I was in a five-year program, in my third year, I remember seeing her on campus and thinking, that girl looks really stuck up. And she, but she was just, uh, she was carrying herself with class and mm. it just struck me. And I actually was uh, introduced to her by a friend at, uh, at a party one time and um, the rest is history. So I fell in love mm. with her and been together ever since, 14 years. Didn't you have all your children within the first like five years? Within five years, that's what I always say. Within five years, we were surrounded by four girls. <laughs> wow. Yeah, three in diapers. <laughs> what was your background like, Jonathan? What did you, I mean, were you raised in a different sort of a home? Yeah, I was interesting. I was raised in uh, South Jersey in a very rural community. And uh, my mom is German, my dad is African-American. And we grew up in not the greatest of circumstances, but got, we always had what we needed and God always provided. Um, but in a loving home, my parents were, uh, they loved the Lord, they feared the Lord, and they taught us to do the same. I always say that my testimony was I tasted and saw that God was good. And you know, the Bible says, taste and see the Lord is good. I tasted it. So anything else as I aged up and started experimenting with different things just tasted bitter and God was always better. So that's my testimony. Wow. So tell us, tell us a little bit about what you two guys are bringing to the rest of us in, in your book, She Is Yours. Um, some of the lessons that you've learned or are learning as they unfold. Yeah, I would say, first of all, the book's broken down into three sections. Uh, it talks about her relationship with the Lord, talking about your daughter's relationship with the Lord, her relationship 
um, with you as her parent and her relationship with the world around her. And really the core of what we're trying to do is help parents understand, of girls obviously, but of parents in general, that um, God wants to have a deeper relationship with your daughter and to the, degree, to the degree that they see Christ in you will be to the degree that they are actually set up well to know and love the Lord. And hopefully he puts other people in their lives as well, and he will, but um, that you are a large part of the Lord's testament in their lives, and you can be. So that's... So those three things you mentioned are oftentimes... There's some tension there. You know, the world's dragging one way. We're trying to just maintain that relationship this way, and we're hoping and praying that they'll have that relationship with God. How do, well, you know, how do we balance those all? How, how do we live their lives for them? And I know we can't, right? But how do we, how do we get all those three things going in the right direction? You know, oh. <laughs> yeah. I think we're both excited yeah. about that one yeah. um, because I think that is the heart of the book, that she is yours, and just believing and trusting and knowing that God gave us these girls. So they're clearly, they're ours. He gave them to us, but he gave them to us. They are his, um, and they are a gift from him. And so in all those areas, I mean, it can, we, you know, if we look at anything, her relationship with him, her relationship with the world, anything, you can be discouraged, um, you can feel hopeless and kind of out of control in those three areas because they're pretty big and intense areas. But when we look at it through the, through the eyes of seeing them as a gift from him, then it allows us to relax in that because what we need to do is not control those areas, but we need to focus on reaching out to him for how he wants to rule those areas in their lives. And so that's the heart of, of the book is that even in those sections, um, as we talk about how we're journeying through those things and practically what that looks like, you know, with four girls at one point all under the age of five, um, you know, being intentional about our devotional time or being intentional about our quality time with them, being intentional about our quality time with God. So as we talk about all those things, though, in the end, there's a prayer because we know that we can only do but so much before we, and we just have to say, Lord, like I'm yours and so are they. And so here, here's what we have to offer then we trust you to do to do the rest. And Jonathan, you make a point of that. There's a difference between good intentions and intentionality. Yeah. yeah, I think most of us have good intentions, but the reality is that intentionality takes a lot of hard work. And on most days, I mean, my wife was just at a conference this week, and you know, to be an intentional father, it's easier to check out, to put my earbuds in, and <laughs> you know, listen to some talk radio as I do the dishes. But to be intentional means to dig into their lives, to understand what's going on in their world, um, and really, it's in that and understanding and in, in digging into their world, we really understand where they are. We understand how God's made them, their personalities, which is very different for four different girls, yeah. five different girls. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, the intentionality is a lot of hard work, uh, but it comes with great results, I believe. When you talk about um, your, your girl's relationship with God, you use a really helpful kind of illustration. You talk about a pediatrician saying, you can't make your kids eat good food, but you can provide them with a lot of good choices. Mm. Yeah. And that that's the same in their relationship with God. You can't make them love God, but you can create an atmosphere. How? Talk to parents of young kids who at the moment are thinking, how do I do that in this crazy world? How do I make, make my children understand that this is not something they have to do, but this is this glorious invitation from a loving father? Well, I'll let Jonathan answer the practically what we, things that we've done, but I'll just say to start off is that it is just, we say that, but we say that fully understanding that it is messy and it is, it is not convenient. And it is um, times where we are, you know, it's not pretty. It's not this, you know, beautiful worship service at our kitchen table, but it is <laughs> sit down and come here and no, don't feed the dog that. And listen, we're trying to read the Bible and come, you know, so there's all of that and there are, but it just still takes us being present and doing that. And there are ways that. Yeah, I, w I would say the biggest thing, and for me, I had to do this last night. I had to sit down with one of my daughters and literally 
apologize to her and own my mistakes. So a lot of mm. times what Christ-likeness looks like is ask, asking for forgiveness ourselves and owning our own mistakes. And I really think that's really where um, the, where the gospel is truly exposed when we as parents can show our own brokenness and be um, really um, open with our children about our own need for God and our own need for forgiveness. And uh, I don't know, I just, that to me, that the, the, the most, the softest and most intentional moments I have with my girls is oftentimes owning my own mistakes, right. but I think they can clearly see Christ in that, so. Yeah. I think that's beautiful, actually. I think it's a beautiful gift to give your children to, to you know, admit the fact, you know what, I'm not gonna get this all right but here's my heart. Yeah. And I think that gives them permission then to come to their Heavenly Father saying, you know what, I didn't get this right. Yeah. So I think that's, talk about what it's like, you talk about your, your kid's relationship with God, but your child's relationship with you. And you talk about how tempting it is to just check out. Mm -hmm. What does it mean, the gift of your presence? You, you, I relate to you in the book, because you're like, sometimes you just want to get away and be quiet for a little bit. Yeah. But, um, there's, but a, there's a story that, yeah. um, I tell and it's, uh, we were, I was having one of my, just a day and I just wanted to be by myself and everybody else was happy. So I felt like I was actually disturbing the happiness. And so I just got up from the table and just went to the room and thought like, they're happy, I'm not. So let me just be alone. And I hear one of the girls coming down the hall. And so I kind of braced myself cause I'm like, okay, she probably needs homework, help with homework or, you know, what is it that she's gonna need? And so I'm bracing myself for her to come in the room and she comes in and she's like, you know, hey mommy. And I'm like, hi baby, you know, um, what's, you know, what's going on? And she's like, nothing. And I was like, did you need something? And she's like, no, I just like being with you. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that it dawned on me, like oftentimes we feel like um, that they need us to be doing and they need us to be producing for them and showing them and teaching them. And really they just want to be with us. Yeah. Um, and that our presence matters, but not often in the way that we think yeah. it matters, but it just matters that we're there mm -hmm. and that we, she just came in and there was nothing else. I wasn't at my best. I wasn't, you know, happy and doing a dance with her and singing. I was in my bed kind of having a moment and she still just wanted to be with me. Mm -hmm. so. I mean, some of the things that you've talked about, uh, just being present, uh, being willing to admit your mistakes, being intentional about your time and focus, they go beyond just raising daughters or even raising children. How has some of these ideas that you've learned in your parenthood changed the relationships be between yourselves, between other family members, where you work and your community? Have you seen any of that translate over? Yeah, I would say that, you know, oftentimes, um, and especially in our society right now, that the goal is perfection. If we don't get perfection, we just want out. I mean, you look at that with divorce rates. You look at that with all kinds of relationships. And the reality is that, you know, in any good relationship, there's a level of grace and a level of understanding and a level of pushing through things that, you know, most people aren't used to doing or want to do. Yeah. Um, so that's really, our home is like a school. Like we, we wanna really teach our daughters that life's not gonna be easy, it's always gonna be messy, but there's always a level um, of grace that's gonna be necessary in order for you to have lasting relationships that matter. Hmm. Um, that's not just our relationship with each other in our home, but it's outside of that, and it's even an understanding your relationship with Christ, so. Um, Probably so better prepares them for leaving the home eventually one day, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what we're trusting and yeah. believing. Because yeah. yeah. the third yeah. section of your book is your daughter's relationship with the world. Mm -hmm. uh, um, a lot of the world is kind of scary right now, you yeah. know? And I was even wondering, because um, your darling daughters are here with us, and I was thinking, as parents, how do you help them understand everything that's going on in the world? You know, we face tragedies, we go through all sorts of different things. How do you, as parents, um, determine where you step in and say, here's what's going on and, and bring the perspective of, of God still being in control, no matter how things appear. 
Yeah, we go to scripture. It's so funny. There's this one scripture that I, I was actually afraid to fly for the longest time, and I fly way too much to be afraid to fly. <laughs> but there's a scripture that says, uh, have no fear of sudden death or the ruin that overtakes the wicked, for the Lord will be at your right side, and keep your foot from being snared. And my wife's like, that's such a depressing verse. <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of is, except for the fact that it's God promising that he'll be with me, and him promising that mm-hmm. even in the midst of all the chaos in the world happening, he is with me. And for me, that's you know the, the greatest thing that we have is this, the assurance that God is with us, that he is for us. Um, and we try to give that to our daughters every day. Regardless what tragedy happens, we're open with them about you know, the way the world is and just knowing that God is with them regardless of where they go. Mm. So. Yeah, and I think I'll just add, we always um, try to take a proactive response and not a reaction when it comes to talking to our girls or, or telling them about things that are going on. And so in doing that, um, we approach topics. We just approach the hard stuff, but we, we, it gives us an opportunity to approach it from God's perspective and God's standpoint on those things. And so we do that and just going back to God's word. I mean, we just go to God's word constantly because we don't know anything else um, to go to. And so for them, just going back to scripture and I try to find ones that don't talk about sudden death, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I would add to that just that, you know, it's intentionality, but for us, it's offensive. Like so many of us as Christians want to kind of huddle up and just wait for Jesus to return. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, he's calling us to go out. And Absolutely. I want my girls to be world changers. I want them to be girls that mm-hmm. are going out into all the world, uh, just bringing the good news. And uh, yeah. I just think that things. Because we do talk about their influence. Like oftentimes we think about the world's influence on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that brings fear and anxiety because the world's going to influence them. But we like to approach it from the actually you you've been, you've been placed here to influence mm-hmm. and to be the one to have the impact and so just challenging them yeah. um, to do that to not see it as a time for them to be afraid and come back but no this is actually a time for you to stand up and be different. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Oh, great approach. And now I'm not going to do this, but if I were to ask your girls <laughs> what they thought about you as parents that are very intentional about how they go about raising their girls in, in a rough world, but in a godly way, right? What would you hope they would say about you as parents? You can start that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually, th- I actually, my hope is that, um, is that they would say, well, a couple of things. One, that they would say when they saw us do interviews and things like this, that is actually what, we, what they lived. <laughs> that this is, this is who we are and who we, not just what we're saying, but this is what they saw in our house and how we um, lived. And I, and I think we have asked them, and they do say, you know, we apologize often. <laughs> like, we, we are quick to apologize and just say, you know what, we were wrong on that one. And then I just think it's a great testimony, what Jonathan says about um, just his family, just that he's tasted and seen. Mm-hmm. And so that's my prayer, is that they, they tasted and seen, and they didn't see perfection, but they saw that God is good, and that God's grace is, is real, and that we need it, and that, when, and that, that because we need it, it's good. So, yeah, and I, I would add to that and just say I would just uh, hope and pray that my girls know that they are deeply loved and that they would never, ever question God's love because I was a bad example to them in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my heart, that they would just know that I love them beyond any decision they could ever make, anything they could ever do, and that they would know that God's heart is good because their daddy's heart was good, even mm-hmm. in my mistakes. <laughs> so good, so good. And I think what you just heard is, is a glimpse of the heart of God. Because what he wants for us is good. What He has a plan for us, and, and it's good. It's life. And not everyone is getting to see that. Um, some people need to hear that there is a good God who loves them, who wants to bless them, who wants to provide for them, and, and just say, come and taste that I am good. There's some people in need right now, Sheila. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been there. You've seen it. 
But the good news is that when you help us, we can change what's going on. We can give them the life and love of God. Watch this with us. We're here in this village where they've really been suffering with bad drought. They've had no real rain here in the last year. You can just see how dry everything is. This is an area where they would normally plant crops, but there are no crops being planted here. There's no food. There's also no life. In Southern Africa, drought and famine have deprived entire villages of food. For the mothers of children in these areas, their only way of life is to plan for death. Grave, off to grave, off to grave. For children who have a name, children who mean the world to their mothers and to their families, children who don't deserve to die simply because their village was ravaged by drought, because they didn't have mission feeding. You see, we can stop children from filling these graves. We can bring the cycle of death to an end if we just act. You say, but what do I do? How do I stop children from dying? This is how you do it. You open your heart. You give out of what you have. You give the best gift that you can give. You give mission feeding. You give life, life in the form of a bowl of food that not only fills a stomach, but empties a grave. Please, do it for the mother that doesn't want to lose another child. Do it for the children that don't deserve to die. That shot of all those graves, it just breaks my heart. Um, you know, they, they say the, their only way of life is planning for death. That's not the heart of our Father. That's not what God wants. And that's why He asks us to be His, His hands, His feet, to go, to reach out. Sheila, we can change that. Yeah, I stood in that um, graveyard when I was there in Angola, and the thing that was so moving to me were the little tributes that had been left on every single graveside by the parents, um, small things, but just something, one, you know, like one little boutique, something to say, my child was on this earth and my child mattered. Because sometimes we get used to pictures like that and we think, well, you know, mothers in Africa, they get used to losing their children. No, they don't. No mother ever gets used to burying a child. And it would be overwhelming if it wasn't that we can make a difference because I've seen the difference it makes. You know, the food that we provide, it looks like a bowl of oatmeal, but it has everything that children in that area of the world need to thrive, vitamins, all the minerals they need. And literally one bowl of food changes from death to life. I've gone on the malnutrition clinics and held babies that look as if they have just moments left to live but I've been in the villages where our, fooding, our feeding program is already in place and I've seen the difference. They look like our kids. They're running around. This is something that we can all do, Randy. Absolutely, it's, it's very cost efficient. Yeah. 30, 50 or $100 will help feed three, five or 10 children for three months. Um, we're, 
We've been doing this for a while. My parents started doing this many, many years ago uh, with Peter and Ann Pretorius, Esox's parents, whom you saw earlier. And one of the things, Sheila, that we can do in addition to giving the food, we have food factories in country. And, and the food factory changes everything. It allows us to reach more people, allows us to be more efficient, and we actually teach them a trade to, to take care of themselves long term. But we're at a point now where, you know, I've probably upgraded my phone five times since we upgraded that, that food factory. If we upgrade the food factory this year, we can increase the production by 50%, and that's huge. That means more food in the emergency areas. That means more of that turnaround you're talking about, Sheila, where we see that child go from death's doorstep to running and playing. It's, it's taking them life. That's what we want you to do. We want you to join us in giving life to these children all across Southern Africa. We can turn around the bad situations. We can give them life instead of just preparing for death. But we need you to join us. So go to the phone, call us, keep calling if you don't get through immediately, or go online and make the best gift you can. Together, we can make a difference. In impoverished and famine-stricken areas of Africa, children are suffering. The need is great, and without food, they face death by starvation. With your support, you will help feed and care for children in crisis areas of Sudan, Angola, and Mozambique. With Africa facing ongoing food shortages and drought, we urgently need to replenish supplies and come to the aid of 400,000 children counting on us. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50 or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Please also consider an additional gift to help provide critically needed upgrades to our food factory that will increase overall production by a staggering 50%. This is a $216,000 challenge above our normal feeding budget that could help save even more lives. With your gift of any amount, we'll send you in the middle of the mess in her new book, Sheila Walsh brings insight to knowing the peace and presence of Christ in the midst of life's inevitable messes. With your gift of $100 or more to help feed and care for 10 children, we'll send you Sheila's book, plus the Arise Coffee Mug. This heat-activated mug reveals Isaiah 61 each time you fill it with a warm beverage, a wonderful way to begin your day. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed and care for 100 children, be sure to request our Determined Eagle Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online. Thank you so much. Every single gift makes a difference. Every single child, every single mother that's praying that we will hear their prayers are going to be touched because you and I reach out and do something now in Jesus' name. So thank you. When you call, if you would like Jonathan and Winter's book, she is yours. The book can be yours. Just request it. And of course, if you want Sheila's wonderful book in the middle of the mess, just ask for that. But most importantly, just do what you can. We appreciate every, everything that you do as we reach around the world and share his love. And we appreciate Jonathan and Winter being here, sharing that heart of God. Of thank you so much. And thank all of you for being here on Life Today. Don't miss us every day on Life Today.
When planning your future, keep their future in mind. Contact Life Planning Services today. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.